0: Hello. I've emerged. Good, 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 good. Well, welcome, welcome. It's exciting all this new stuff happening, isn't it? Thank you. Yes, there we are. A little look at you. Okay, well, look, if you are a visitor, what we've been doing over the last few weeks is we've been preaching our way through the gospel of Luke, as you can see from the slide. And uh, we are coming towards the end of Luke 3, and we're about to come into Luke chapter 4. So I'd just like to read this scripture with you. Uh, again, if you have your Bibles with you, please uh, take them out. And we're going to start at uh, Luke chapter 3, and uh, we're going to pick up at 21 to 23, and then we're going to flip over to chapter 4. So it's Luke chapter 3, starting at Luke uh, twenty-three twenty-one. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as it was supposed, of Joseph. And then there is a long list at that point of genealogies. And I'm going to do what all of you do when you read your Bibles. I'm going to skip over it. <clears throat> and then we come to Yes, you do. Don't even pretend. Don't even pretend. Uh, I would, uh, I, and then it comes to the end. And then it says, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Well, the only other way of doing that is saying that the son of his dad, all right, you know. The son of his dad, the son of his dad, the son of his dad. I'm not going to do that. Okay, so, so, so Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread Okay, well, look, we're coming to another really significant passage of Scripture as we're working our way through Luke. And uh, we are now being introduced to the, the adult Jesus. We saw at the beginning of Luke, we saw his birth, the announcement of his birth, his birth. Very briefly, then, we saw uh, Jesus as a, a teenager, as a, as a youth. And now, suddenly, we're being introduced to the adult Jesus and also to the beginning of his ministry on earth. And uh, to be honest, we are hitting, he is hitting the ground, running at this point. He is being thrown into the deep end with what he's facing. We, we, immediately he starts his ministry. Uh, we are in a very tense situation. Uh, because the devil knows that if he can knock Jesus over right at the beginning, if he can uh, encourage him to sin, or, or if he can encourage him to fail in his mission... Then it means that Jesus' purpose for the salvation of all the earth will have failed. So, quite literally, as we go through this passage, your salvation and my salvation is at stake. And for all mankind, it is imperative that Jesus comes out victorious of this time. So, this is high tension. This is not like, uh, let's give Jesus a few days to get his knees under the desk and find out what this ministry thing is like. I'm a big uh, rugby fan, and uh, so uh, well done to Wales, obviously, recently. As an England fan, you know, well done. That's about as good as I can do, I'm afraid. Um, uh, uh, And um, uh, whenever the Six Nations starts, I always look to see who England are going to play first because I'm kind of hoping there will be a nice easy introduction and I'm to be honest I'm always hoping we're going to play Italy because because Italy aren't that great really sorry but it's true they're not and then I'm hoping well is it you know if it's not them can it be France or Scotland or it used to be Scotland yeah I know I know I know I'm just just telling you what I'm really thinking and then I hope we go on to play you know Ireland and Wales because they're the toughest games later And I'm just hoping because the team will be given a chance to kind of, you know, get there, get going and get moving. There was no such gentle introduction for Jesus. He hits the ground. Bang. And it's like those movies, you know, you you see when they start and you're instantly in the tension. Boom. And that's, that's how the ministry of Jesus starts here on earth. And actually, as we just look, there are so many things we could look at here. I mean, uh... Jesus models a new relationship with mankind and the Holy Spirit. We need to look at that. There's times of suffering and hardship and difficulty. Jesus is about to go into 40 days. We need to look at that. We need to look at our true identity as children of God. I think we need to touch on that. We obviously look, need to look at the reality of temptation because that's an absolute reality. And also we are introduced to the character of the devil, there's a lot in there, isn't there? Yeah. So I hope you've got a pillow. <clears throat> Enjoy your popcorn. S- settle back. We'll see how far we get. I'm not sure we're going to get through all of that. So, but let's uh, let's start then with this one of modelling. Jesus models a new relationship. With the Holy Spirit. I touched on this in the afternoon, last afternoon service, but this is what it says. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, it says the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And then it says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was now led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Immediately, Jesus comes on the scene. We see a different relationship with the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the way it used to work was like this. tend to be with the prophets. The Holy Spirit would come upon people. And then they would prophesy. And then the Holy Spirit would withdraw. So there was this sense of the Spirit would come, the Spirit would go. With Jesus, we don't see any of that. We see the Holy Spirit descending on him and staying on him. Filling him and leading him. On a kind of day-by-day basis, Jesus is modeling a new way of having intimate relationship with God. Church, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, don't we? Yes. We need to be filled and filled again. And can I just say this to you? When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the beginning, not the end. Yes. You don't say, "Woohoo! I've done it, thank you very much. Oh, right, I'll sit back now. No, every day we say, uh, we need to be filled and filled again. And maybe you're here and you didn't know that you could have a relationship with God, with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit wants to accompany you in your day-to-day life. Maybe that just sounds mad to you, the idea that God speaks to you. Maybe that's just weird. You, know, you kind of think, oh, well, God speaks to me. You know, that sort of, that's how it comes over to you. No, no. I need to say to you, it's perfectly possible, in fact, it is the goal of your life, To have relationship with God. And that you can walk with him, that he will lead you, and that he will speak to you. That is an eye-opener to most people in Britain today. Hey, church, we have the privilege of knowing the Holy Spirit, don't we? Okay, so we just need to observe. Uh, We need to be uh, staying in step, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's look at our relationship with God because the next thing I think is modeled here. So, what's happened? Jesus has just been baptized and then it says, a voice from heaven shouts out, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now that is weird. That is officially weird. If, if uh, Jesus, just just minding his own business, And do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of um, an over-enthusiastic father at a school presentation day. That's what it reminds me of. So it's like um, a dad who loves his child, and he's gone along to the presentation, and everyone, all the kids are getting their best whatevers, you know, best at maths. Everyone said, well done. Best at English, well done. Best at sports. And the dad is, you know, being polite. Yeah, 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 some other kid. Well done, well done, well done. And then his child goes up there. And he can't contain himself, and he stands on his chair, and he shouts out, Yes! That's my son or daughter! And they're incredible! Yes, come on! You can imagine what the kid would do, wouldn't you? Dad, shut up! Will you sit down? But it's a bit like that. Jesus has just been baptized, and the Father cannot contain himself. Listen to the pride, the, the, aff- the affirming statement, the fatherly pride in that. This, that you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. He can't contain himself. Question, why? Why is the father so pleased with Jesus? What has he done to deserve it? Has Jesus at this point done any miracles? No, he hasn't. Has he done any healings? No. Uh, has he delivered anyone from a demon? That's going to be a big thing later on. No, he hasn't done any of that. Has he won salvation for all mankind yet? No. Uh, has he, has he um, gone through the temptations yet? No. Has he taught anyone? No. Has he gathered any disciples? No. He's done nothing. He has done nothing at all. Yet the Father says over him, I love you and I'm so pleased with you. It's on the basis of relationship because God loves his children and there is no barrier of sin in the way. That's the only two things going on there. Jesus is his son and there's no barrier of sin in the way. Let me say something, when you become a Christian, you become the child of God, and there is no barrier of sin in the way, because you have asked God to forgive you. So God says over you, Christians, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. Now, even as I say that, some of you will be saying, yeah, but, but, you know... I, I, I haven't quite done that. You know, I should have done that and I didn't. I failed at this and I didn't. No. Jesus had done nothing. You've done nothing. Yet the Father affirms you and loves you. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you believe that God is pleased with you because of what you do or on the basis of his relationship with you? Uh, I know you now know the right answer to give me. I'm asking you to look at your own heart. What do you really believe? This is a really important question. Most of us would say, yeah, yeah, I believe. I I do believe that. Actually, what is your heart really telling you? How do you feel when you fall over, get it wrong, and sin? It's a really important question. You know, religion says this. All religions around the world say this. They say, if you do more good than bad, you'll be okay. All religions say that, with the exception of biblical Christianity. Jesus says, that's just not right. When you fail, it means you've broken everything. It's a a bit like um, the Ten Commandments. It's like saying, well, I've kept them all except one. Just a murder one I couldn't quite keep. You know, Everything else, fine, no problem at all. No, 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 no. If you break the law in one place, you've broken the law. And you need saving at that point. Yet God comes to save you from your sin. You need his forgiveness. It's not about what good things you do. Although it's good to do good things. So Let me ask you another question. If you haven't received God's love and forgiveness and become his child, would you like to? Would you like to? We'll come back to that. OK. Um, so what else do we see? Well, we're, we're again looking at the, the importance of the Holy Spirit, and we look at the beginning of chapter four, and we see that the Holy Spirit is leading Jesus. And where does the Holy Spirit lead Jesus? He leads him into the wilderness. He leads him, actually, into a time of battle. A time of difficulty and endurance. This is the Holy Spirit. This is God leading people into a tough time. Did you know there are some battles and storms in your life that you have to face? You have to face. Uh, Do you remember when Terry Virgo came here and he preached on storm day? Do you remember him preaching on storm day? And he, he said, do you remember the day when Jesus asked his disciples to get into the boat and to row across the lake? And he said, I'll be with you in, uh, in a little while. And within hours of getting into that boat, they were in the middle of a thick storm. Do you remember him talking about this? And they were rowing like crazy. And there was just they couldn't get anywhere. The wind was pushing the boat back. And they were, they were rowing. And they were going all over. And they were exhausted. And it was going on and on. Jesus got them into the boat to go in. To the storm now look we know what God is like we know that God is good don't we yeah. and that he loves us and he cares for us but there are times when God will intentionally send you into the storm there are times when he will intentionally send you into the wilderness those times will accomplish something in you that presumably nothing else will and it's God's love for you that means you will go through those times. He's committed to you. I've said to you before, God is much more interested in regrettably, this is true uh, much more interested in uh, my maturity than He is in my comfort. Man, I wish that was not the case. I have to say the truth is, the truth is, I am much more interested in my comfort than I am in my maturity. <laughs> Give me a glass of wine, a, you know, something nice to eat in a rugby match. and I'm happy, really. As long as my, my wife's there, you know, that's all right. That's great. I didn't quite mean it like that. It has come out like that. I, I you know, I, I'm not that bothered about maturity. But God is. And suffering produces something. Romans 5, pr- suffering produces what? Perseverance and character. Suffering will produce character. Don't get me wrong. God is for you. He loves you. He will protect you. He will keep you. But actually, he wants to produce maturity uh, in you. And sometimes there are just things that have to be faced. Jesus submitted himself to the leading of the Holy Spirit and it took him into uh, the wilderness. Are you facing difficult times? Is God trying to show you something about yourself? Is He wanting to accomplish something in you or expose something in you? Let's move on. Okay, we have now to look at this subject. We are introduced to the character of the devil. And it's interesting that when Luke moves on to mention the devil, he doesn't give any kind of context, does he? He doesn't explain who the devil is. So I guess that means that his readers at that time would have had some understanding. So very quickly, we just need to look at who is the devil. Well, we need to understand something. He is a real being. Christians, the devil's a real being. And uh, uh, he is described as the father of lies, He's described as one who wants to rob and kill and destroy. He doesn't do anything good. He just produces disaster. He's described as the one who accuses believers both day and night. He is, it seems, the personification of evil. He seems to be unredeemable. We understand that he is a fallen angel. He is one who continually opposes God. And, you know, some people find the idea of believing in a devil extremely difficult. I remember Nicky Gumbel, who runs uh, the Alpha Course, when he became a Christian and he was introduced to this idea of the devil, he said, oh, no, I haven't got to believe in the devil as well. It was difficult enough to believe in God. Whereas he said, actually, now he's done the Alpha Course a few times, he said he's discovered, actually, there are some people who find it much easier to believe in the devil than they do in God. Because the devil advertises Just look around the world. We need to be aware of the reality uh, of the devil. Uh, They say there are two common mistakes, though, we can make with our understanding of the devil. And We can say this. uh, We can become obsessed about the devil. So every time you fall over, well, that must have been the devil then. No, no, we don't become obsessed with it or fearful of the devil. But equally, uh, the other big mistake we can make, which our culture generally does, is to ignore the devil and say, no, he doesn't exist. Those are the two primary uh, mistakes. Okay. I'm just not going to finish at half past here. I'm just warning you right now, okay? (laughs) Let's look at the temptations then, shall we? Let's look at the first temptation. So Jesus now has been led by the Spirit. He's out in the wilderness. I trust that he has been inspired by the Holy Spirit to fast for these 40 days. He's extremely hungry. And it's in this context that now he is about to encounter um, uh, the devil. And the devil comes to him and says this. He says, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now, uh, to be honest, when I've looked at this passage before, and I think when a number of people look at it, they tend to emphasize that if you are the Son of God. Have you heard that? If you are the Son of God. And the conclusion is that the devil is challenging Jesus' identity as the Son son of God. Have you you heard that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Interestingly, increasingly as you read the commentators, they would say, actually, that's probably been a little bit overdone. And actually, what the devil is saying is something like this. Since you are the Son of God... Why don't you use that amazing power of yours? He's effectively saying to Jesus, look at the condition you're in. Look at the state you're in. You're starving. You're in the wilderness. This is a terrible place. Wow. And God's led you here? That's not very good. You know, with all that power available to you as the son of God, you could easily do something about that. You could just turn these stones into bread and eat. You could satisfy your appetite. See, in other words, what he's saying is, Jesus, you could do so much better if you did things your way. Wouldn't it be so much better? Look at this power you've got. Your Life would just be so much better if you just break away from God's rule and do your own thing. Do you see what he's doing? The temptation here is really to independence. Go your way, not God's way. And actually, the temptation is very similar to that dished out to Adam and Eve. So if we go back to Genesis, what does the devil tell to Eve? He says, well, if you eat this fruit that you have been told not to eat, uh, you will become like God, he says. Knowing the difference between good and evil. In other words, he's doing the same thing. He's saying, you'd do so much better if you ignore God and go your own way. The temptation, again, is to live independently from God. That's the constant temptation that comes to humanity. Humanity constantly wants to believe, if I ignore God, I'll do better. And it would be worse for me to submit to the rule of God. That's the constant thing that is coming. And Jesus so wonderfully replies, and he cuts this argument down because he responds, obviously, with wisdom and strength. And he says this, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And what Jesus has just done there, he has absolutely undermined the devil's argument by explaining what life is really about. (laughs) Life, you see, is not about satisfying your own desires and appetites. That is existence. Jesus is saying, I don't want existence. I want life. And life is about submitting to God, knowing God, hearing God. Jesus said, my bread is to do the will of my Father in heaven. You want to know what life is about? It's not about having a million pounds in the bank and a big house. That's just stuff that you have accumulated. That's what the world says. That's what life's all about. Let me tell you, it's not... Life is knowing God. Life is knowing the one who created you and walking with him intimately, day after day. That's what life is. So, so Jesus has just sliced the argument to little pieces by saying, devil, you don't know what you're talking about. And interestingly, the devil changes the tack at this point. He recognizes he's defeated. <clears throat> Actually, this is a very significant first victory. Really significant. You see, Jesus in the New Testament is also referred to as the second Adam. The second Adam. You see, the first one who came along failed. He succumbed to sin. He submitted himself to the enemy's rule. And actually, humanity would never be the same again after that. All humanity would be born sinful now. There is now death in the line. Jesus has now come, the second Adam, and right at the, See, Jesus is sinless as Adam was before the fall, but, but now Jesus has come and he passes the test. He faces the same temptation but succeeds. See, and it's interesting, isn't it? Why do these temptations come right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry? Well, I wonder if it's this. Jesus has come in and he takes over at the very point of humanity's failure. Humanity has failed. Jesus then steps in at that point and says, right, I'm taking over at this point. And instead of a future of death, you'll now have a future of life. Do you see what he's done? Right at that very point, he's cut in to say, no, I'll take over at this point. future can be different Now, Jesus is effectively rewriting our history. He has wonderfully stepped into history and he's overturning those years of failure and saying, no, come on, there can be life here, not death. I was quite excited by that. It means that we can have relationship with God again. That's what it means. Okay, so that's the first temptation. However, they haven't finished yet, have they? The second one comes in. Now, initially, this second temptation doesn't seem very subtle. subtle. Jesus is effectively asking, uh, sorry, the devil is asking Jesus to worship him. Well, we know something about Jesus. He's not going to say yes to that, is he? Although, can I just say this? Sometimes, temptation isn't very subtle. Have you noticed that? Oh well, Ajaz, good. That's <laughs> so, sometimes temptation it comes, and it's just a simple desire. Yeah. I want that. I remember years ago. It was the end of a day. I was still in publishing years ago, and uh, I was coming home, and I was really hungry. Not a good state for me to be in. And uh, <laughs> I was walking down the platform, and you know, you know those kiosks with all the Mars bars and stuff on display, and just. What went through my head was, I could take one of those, and no one would see me. Just, um, just and I thought, what are you thinking? Stop it. <laughs> but it just comes, bang, I want that because I'm hungry. For you, your temptation might be difficult. It might be a sexual sin. You, you can't resist that, or it might be a, a greed, or money, or I don't know what it might be. We just need to be aware. Sometimes, sometimes uh, temptation just comes, and it grabs you. And you've got to be able at that time to say, no, no. So what's happening here? Okay. Well, I think what the devil has done here when he speaks to Jesus and says, will you worship me? I'll give you all this authority. I'll give you all this glory. I'll give it all to you if you will worship me. I think he's appealing to Jesus on two levels. You see, God has already said through Gabriel that Jesus is going to have a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom. And what the devil is saying to Jesus here is, I'll give you everything that's coming to you, and I'll make it easy for you. Uh, it's mine to give, you see, and it will all be yours. You can have it, everything. All you've got to do is compromise a little. Just just worship me. But it'll all be yours. See, this is the temptation of idolatry. When you want something, you make something that you want bigger than God. When your goals, your dreams, your ambitions, your desires become more important to you than God. The temptation here also is to take the easy route and not trust God to bring about what he has promised. It's like Abraham with Ishmael. Do you remember Abraham? God had promised him Isaac, but he got fed up with waiting, so he went for an Ishmael. Ultimately, I guess, what is being offered here to Jesus is glory and authority without having to go through the cross. What the devil is trying to do is remove the cross. Hence, there would be no salvation for mankind. Jesus wonderfully replies. Uh, Interesting, can we just observe about Jesus' response here? He doesn't rationalize temptation. Can I advise you, when you're faced with temptation, don't draw up a list of pros and cons. Don't say, well, here are the benefits, and here are the negatives. Mm, Okay, I'll weigh them. Because actually, the truth is with temptation is you want it. So you will always be pushing yourself in the direction of, yeah, well, this is why I should do it. No, 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 just if you know something is wrong, what does the Bible say? It says it's wrong. Then it's wrong. Bring the shutters down on temptation. A couple of quick questions for you. Are you taking shortcuts right now that you know aren't right? Are you taking shortcuts? Are you compromising? And then let me ask you this. Are your dreams and ambitions bigger than God to you right now? It's more important. Last temptation is this. The devil has worked out that Jesus is using Scripture to reply and refute the temptation. So he thinks, I'm going to use Scripture too. Let's see if that can trip Jesus up by using Scripture. And he quotes uh, some Scripture about the protection that God gives And he tells Jesus, you could jump off this high point of the temple and you'll be fine. Because it says the Bible, uh, the Bible says that angels will guard you and protect you. And what the devil, I guess, is trying to say to Jesus is this. Won't that be impressive to everybody? It would prove your position as the son of God. And you'll demonstrate to everyone just who you really are. I'll just answer it with this one quote from a guy called uh, Darrell Bock, who's a commentator. He says, Jesus refuses the devil's attempt to test God's miraculous protection. Such a test would be presumptuous of Jesus because it would be artificially created and really would be unbelief masquerading as faith. The premise of the test is that maybe God will not protect the son. Jesus recognizes the offer for what it really is and refuses to jump The demanding of miraculous protection where it is not needed is not faith or loyalty, it is sin. So Jesus refuses. God had proclaimed Jesus to be the son at his baptism, so Jesus will rest on his promise. Do you test God? Do you demand that God answers your prayers in a certain kind of way? Is that testing him? And then after that third temptation, it comes to an end. And it says, the devil departs until an opportune time. So in other words, it's over, but it's not finished yet. Yeah. Christians, we need to continually be aware of temptation. It never goes away. Yeah. Temptation that you think as a young person, oh, crumbs, that's, that's really bad. I'll be all right when I'm older. Let me tell you, you're still vulnerable when you're older. Just finish with this. The Bible says this. uh, That there is a hole in the heart of all people. And we are desperate for that hole to be filled. And all of us look for something. And sometimes we try and get hold of the wrong thing to try and fill this hole. Actually, what you're looking for is Jesus. Only God can fill the hole that's in your heart and can satisfy that desire that's within you. Uh, I don't know what you've reached out to. Maybe maybe it has been the money thing. Maybe it's been the relationship thing. Uh, Maybe it's been the power thing, the the job, the, the car, the whatever it is. I know there have been a number of rich people who have said they've been so disappointed with wealth. They thought it would satisfy them But when they get there and they get the money, they realize it really isn't what they hoped for. And it is because that desire, that that sense within most of us, there's got to be something better than this. Who's ever felt that? There's got to be something better than this. That's because the desire in your heart is eternity. The Bible very clearly talks about this desire. And it can only be satisfied with an intimate knowledge of God. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to end. Lord, I I want to ask you, Father, for your help, please, with temptation. I want to ask you, Holy Spirit, that you'd come and fill us and meet with us. Can I ask everybody to close their eyes, please? If you have never... Ask God to come into your life. You never ask Jesus to forgive you for your sin. And you would like to. Can I ask everyone to close their eyes? If you would like to, can I ask you to put your hand up, please? Takes a bit of courage. But if you know, even now you're thinking, oh, I know something's not right. I need to do something about this. Just, Just so I can see you, just very quickly. Thank you. Well done. Is there anyone else? Okay, I'm going to pray a prayer. And uh, this, this will get you started. I'll just encourage you, not out loud, but just quietly, in the quietness of your own heart, just to echo what I'm praying. So, Lord Jesus... I ask you to come and forgive me for the sin that I've committed in my life. I ask you to make me clean in your sight. And right now I come and I ask you to take my life. I acknowledge that you are God. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you've always run after me. And sort me out. I look to get to know you more as the days go on. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.